Hey, everybody. This is the TCP. I am John Stamp, and I don't know if it's the same with you guys, but it is full tilt into the holidays here. Um, getting decorating done-ish, uh, hiding Amazon deliveries from the boys, trying to keep uh, our new pair of cats. I don't know if I've introduced Peter and Parker, our new cats yet, but they are giant fans of uh, climbing through a Christmas tree, and they've almost taken like a 10-foot Christmas tree down like three times just this week. I've had to figure out how to anchor stuff to walls now, which is odd. Um, regardless, December has come on way too fast. I was not ready for it. That's not to say I'm not enjoying it, but um, in case I forget, because I'm known to do that, I want to just start with uh, happy holidays to everybody, and I hope it's going well. Um, Thanksgiving was fast, and and I really hope that your Christmas or whatever you happen to celebrate this December uh, is a is a great experience for you. And uh, before I get started tonight, a quick update on Overmatch. I'm on my second round of edits, and so far, uh, Shelly, my editor, has not quit, so I take that to mean that Overmatch is moving in the right direction, and so far she's able to take my uh, garble and translate it into something that sounds intelligent that hopefully you are really going to enjoy reading. Um, covers in the works. Uh, really looking forward to seeing what uh, Jeffrey Hayes has for me uh, very in the very near future. So thinking hopefully maybe March, April release for Overmatch, the second Ty Benhoff novel. I can't wait. And as soon as I know more, you will know more. So that's it on the, on the writing front for today. Um, so let's get to it, huh? Uh, tonight, I get to sit down with radio host and true crime author Alan R. Warren. Alan Warren, Warren is a best-selling author, producer, and lead host of the popular NBC radio shows House of Mystery and Inside Writing, both heard on... 106 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, 1050 AM Palm Springs, 540 AM KYAH Salt Lake City, and 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle, Tacoma, and Phoenix. Al started writing articles for True Case Files magazine and is still a contributor to Serial Killer magazine. He's also completed 24 nonfiction books covering true crime, cults, human trafficking, history, and memoirs for three different publishers. His best-selling true crime books in Canada are Beyond Suspicion, The True Story of Colonel Russell Williams, which was featured on CNN's Lies, Crimes, and Videos, and Murder Time 6, The True Story of the Wells Gray Park Murders in America. His bestsellers include The Killing Game, Serial Killer Rodney Alcalia, which has been featured on several television shows such as Very Scary People with Donnie Wahlberg, Oxygen's Mark of the Killer, Reels, Killer Trophies, and soon to be featured in a four-part documentary on the Sundance channel called Death's Date. He's also written Doomsday Cults, The Devil's Hostages, which was featured on Vice's Dark Side of the 90s. His latest series of books is called Killer Queens, a six-part series covering murders that affect the gay community, including uh, stories revolving around Leopold and Loeb, uh, the Butcher of Hanover, Fritz Harmon, uh, The Grinder Serial Killer, Stephen Port, and Book 4, Bruce MacArthur, The Toronto Gay Killer. So uh, I can't wait to talk to him. His, his writing is so varied and unique, and his shows are great. Um, so, Al, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Well, thanks for having me. Boy, that sound, guy sounds like he's busy. <laughs> Yeah, that guy, that, that's, uh, I, I, as I mentioned, I was like, how, uh, first question just has to be, 
uh, when and how do you sleep? It's, it's I, I just oh, don't see it. <laughs> it it doesn't happen. I you yeah. know I, I think that um, you just get into it and you just do a lot. I don't I don't think it's like any anything too wild. I just do what I do and uh, yeah, I need more sleep. That's true. Don't we all? It's that's <laughs> um, I um, I just can't. Uh, I can't find enough in uh, today's day and age. And I have nowhere near as busy as, as you are. I, uh, between the, the radio show and, and 24 different books as I was going through them. Um, first off, I, I kind of wonder how did this come about? What was first radio or television or oh, radio, radio or writing? Oh, radio for sure. Uh, books. Actually, I've got 30 published now. <laughs> wow <laughs> they I'm need sorry, to update not... that that no they need to i know it's i think that's just what's done on the pr stuff but no i've i've got 30 books out there now and uh four different publishers now um but um no radio was first um i'm a radio kid always have been uh mm-hmm. since i was young um i mean five and six i was listening to all i did was listen to radio i didn't turn on the tv and unless it was batman you know, we're talking the 1960s. <laughs> the, the Alan West Batman. Yeah, we're talking old. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd watch other than really weird shows like that or Dragnet or something. I never watched much TV. I was really a big fan of uh, radio. I had like 15 radios, the old crystal radio. That's all I did was radio, radio, radio. And those uh those were the ones that you could like take apart and fix and move, remove yeah. transistors and all the the old set like when you could actually replace stuff and fix things instead of just throwing them out and getting a new one like yeah it's yeah. It, so that's um I've not, I've talked to other people and that's that's where those collections come from because they're just not as you used to be able to tinker with stuff like that right yeah and I was fascinated with the whole idea of it right that's all I was is a radio guy and that's how I kind of I got into making producing and working other people's shows more than being on the air initially because uh you know I was um I didn't realize it but as a kid um I'm autistic and um on being on the spectrum I didn't understand my issues uh, because I thought I was normal. And back in the 60s and 70s, uh, they didn't really do anything for you other than uh, give you a slap because they thought you were a bad kid, right? You weren't paying attention. Right. And um, the focus is different. So I had to learn to get around that. Radio was perfect for that because um, I could avoid people looking at me. And that was a big issue okay. for, for me. That's it, it. That was the hardest thing to overcome. So, you know, that's, that's kind of why. Yeah. Then, and that's very interesting to, to, yeah, be in that position where you can be, you know, on the, I guess you can't say behind the microphone because then you're speaking, but you can be on the production side and out of it, but still contributing to the, to the show. Um, and then at some point you that that transition you I mean you've had me on House of Mystery how how did you, did it was it just a a create a curiosity that built over time or was it a confidence builder thing over time of watching and learning? Well, you know, it's um, a uh, I, I got asked to do an interview with um, um, Judith Baker, Judith Very Baker, and she was the girlfriend of Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald at the time of the JFK assassination. Wow. And I got to spend two hours with her. She liked me. 
and feel comfortable with me. And it was probably because of who I am, why I am. And um, that interview went really well. And then radio stations started saying, hey, how about you being a host of a true crime show or history show? And and I took up a station's offer in Phoenix. And uh, that's where it all began, where I was on air. And um, I was still pretty uptight and pretty um, rigid. And um, it took a while to learn how to relax, because the biggest trick is to be yourself as much as possible. I'm not a whole lot different on air, off air. And it's it's just being able to achieve that. Um, that's I think is the hardest thing. Yeah, I, I um, and I'm I'm not saying I'm I'm good at this by any means, but uh, the first I remember um, asking everybody like the first few interviews I did because um, I just I I came home one day and I was having so much fun doing podcasts that I just straight up told my wife I'm like I'm gonna start a podcast. She's like, how? I'm like I have no idea, but I'll figure it out. So I was like I I'm just gonna talk to authors. That's that's my gig. So um, I remember her saying me just being like, hey, how how'd that sound? How'd I do? And and I remember the first couple episodes, she's like, you know what? A bit, it would have been nice if the other person could have talked. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> you know, I just didn't even realize I'm just every time they said something, I'm like so focused on trying to keep a conversation going that I would step right over top of them and just, you know, try to say a comment that reflected my listening to them instead of actually letting them speak. And it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny that just trying to relax is it takes. Yeah. It takes well, it's time. an art. It's an art to be able to have a conversation and not think about that you're being recorded, watched, or listened to, right? I mean, you want to take that person to a coffee shop or to a bar and and talk to them as if you're not being listened to by a huge audience. And that's kind of the tough thing to do. And actually, the person I got who I listened to that helped me over that was probably Howard Stern the most. And it sounds weird because it's not like he's my guy, but in the, in the, in the, he's got the aspect of being able to be himself and not care and then get through the show and yet hold a pretty decent interview. That's a really tough thing to do, especially among people that don't like you. So it's, um, that's who I kind of focus on. You might not agree with that, but that's who I, I focused on. Oh, no, I grew up on Howard Stern like that, oh. <laughs> that uh, every every day since probably eighth grade when I shouldn't have been listening to him all the way through college until he went to Sirius. I was um, I was a diehard, diehard Howard Stern, Howard Stern guy. And exactly right, especially once he started um, filming and putting on the video. It's different when you're listening to him. Um, Cause you just hear the voices and you hear the interaction, but when you can see how just laid back, they're all just kind of laying around the studio, just kind of slumped in their chairs, just casually having a conversation. It's it kind of, it adds a ton more to it when you can see how relaxed they all were and just kind of having fun. That I think it's the chemistry in that show that really built everything. Is that kind of. Yeah. That as well as you got to realize that he's also created a character. It, that's how he overcame his his lack of confidence in who he was, um, which is an ongoing process in your life, throughout your life. You know, you start out and you're, we're, we're all insecure at different levels, but 
he was totally insecure. And what he did was create it, Howard Stern, as a character. And then he played him. And he, as time went on, he played more of himself in that character. It's, it's a, it's a really complicated sort of sketch, but in essence, him, he, as well as Robin, both created these characters and decided to put a whack pack, as he called it, around him of people that were, you know, different, totally different. And that's sort of, I've, I've taken on a lot of co-hosts that are all totally different than me and they're my whack pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I can hear when I, when I listen to him, it's, it's, it's uh, the dynamics just interesting because you like you say there's just they have different deliveries from you and you're you you uh and the way you guys can play off each other is is it's um keeps it moving especially in, in uh you know when you have different writers and writers are introverts by nature so it's it's good to be able to tag team that with two different personalities to try and get the most out of some people who might not be very comfortable at all in 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 sitting in right. a, on a yeah. radio show you know well and the idea is I, i've chosen people that I really like as people and um, they're also very good at what they do. Uh, like in the thriller, Joe Goldberg is something about him that I, I, I think he's a great person and that's what I like. And that, so he also is a good writer in that area. And so that's why I chose him in the thriller undercover espionage sort of, because he's going to bring out, serious questions as a thriller writer to to other thriller writers that i won't have you know what i mean yeah but what i do is i i come into it as an outside person that's going to ask questions from someone that doesn't know anything about that and that's kind of what i like to see in a show because i hope when you listen you're going to get not the typical questions you'll get a few from joe but I'm going to throw things at them that they don't expect. And hopefully then it gives them as a listener, you're going to get something out of that writer that you're not going to get on any other show. I hope that's kind of my angle. Yeah. Just something, something unique that, that they weren't ready for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Something off oh, yeah. the talking point. James yeah. Comey. The first question I asked James Comey is what, what kind of underwear he wore. Well, and, and this sounds it's a, yeah it's a joke but at the same time what it does is it throws him off his game he's so rehearsed as an fbi guy uh the f last thing he expects is you know he expects me to come to him well you know on the hillary clinton angle or donald trump angle instead here's al going do you wear boxers or briefs <laughs> yeah. it sounds weird but at the same time he's like oh okay um so he has to laugh and he has to think about what he's going to say. And then you lead him into the slaughter, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. but the thing is I have to take him off his pre-rehearsed game and that, and that's kind of what I want to do. And then, and then find out some real stuff about him, not just the, the same stuff you're going to get on MSNBC or Fox or whatever you watch. I want to get something real out of that person because he's a real human being and um that's kind of a hard thing to do yeah and that's what i liked about uh house of mystery and those long form type shows you're not uh you're not confined to a soundbite you you can actually like you say you can knock them off their game and then actually have a in-depth conversation with somebody who otherwise you'd never see you know right you never yeah. see that that aspect of them on a, on a you know sitting on a 
contributors desk in Fox News or CNN or something like that. It's a you can get to yeah. try and know them instead of judging them from a thirty second soundbite. Yeah, yeah, because I don't really care about Trump or Clinton. I'm I'm caring about a person that's sitting there that's talking to me about writing and doing other things. So why do I want to go there, right? And not only that, you know, Rachel Maddow or or Sean Hannity in their own context will actually do a better job at the political scale than I will. Um, so why do I want to c- compete with that or go there? And and not only that, it's just early in the game, I learned that if you're political, um, you start to draw sides. And that's kind of not what I want to do. Uh, I don't mind talking about issues, but I don't want to talk about a political opinion of that issue because it's never going to win. You're going to get people that are left or right, and they're going to love or hate whatever you side you take, if you take a side. And I'm a Canadian boy <laughs> stuck <laughs> in the land of America that I don't always agree with in in a lot of that stuff. So I just, it's it's more about the issue. You can talk about an issue, guns or or FBI or stuff like that, but I don't need to talk about whether Hillary Clinton is having you know, eating babies in a basement of a pizza place or whether whatever, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just kind of, an, it's not, it's a non-issue for me because most of it's just hash that you're slinging at people. And so I don't want to do that. So that's kind of why I don't really go there. So I'd rather know about, you know, and I found out James Comey about his daughter and all this other stuff that you would never hear um, on a regular political show. So, yep. Yeah. Cause it's so polarized. It's just the filter won't allow you to get to know the actual person. It's just so much easier to judge them when you've just got a face, you know, we would all be much closer if we actually talk to each other on a one-on-one basis or on a direct basis than we do on Twitter. Uh, you know what oh. I'm saying? You know, yeah. because there's people like that are, I mean, you're, you're totally probably an opposite spectrum of, of a political person probably than I would be. But the thing is, we're human beings and we care about ourselves, our families, our kids, our, our, our cats, as you said, like we care yeah, about that. Yeah. And as humans and, and Americans, you would care more about if we actually sat there and talked, because it'd be like, you don't want to hurt your friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and if we're sitting there, I think it would be a much closer nation than, than uh, what it is because of all that hassling and it's so easy to do it on Twitter and to call people names, but you don't want to do that to people, you know, so I'm more for let's, let's bring on the people that have different points of views because why do they have that? They're humans. And if we talk to them as human, then we start to realize, well, maybe their concerns are worth that are worth something. And then they'll say that about me. Um, because I'm a very different person. I'm not a mainstream person. So, um, you know, it's easy to call me names, but the truth is, uh, I'd be a better friend than an enemy. And I think that, um, us as human beings are all much better learning from each other and caring and working together than just calling each other names because, well, you know, of whatever reason. And so, Anyway, I don't want to, you know, I didn't mean to go down that angle, but it's sort of that's sort of what I do. No, and it's interesting you mentioned that because, I mean, it's, the, you know, 
social media for everything it's it is i mean it's got such power to do exactly what you talk about but instead more often than not people just decide to throw barbs at each other you know and and just hide behind whatever little avatar or handle they've got and they'd much rather pick apart than than get to know each other and i think like exactly like you said shows like yours just you know whatever and comey's a very political figure and the you know the left whatever they think of him the right whatever they think of him now they you know he sits down with you for an hour and you can be like oh he's a you know he's a dad he's he's a dedicated civil servant he's done this he's done this he's you know yeah. give the guy a break right yeah you know because the left people that hated him because he comes in and he's the conservative and he's like kind of anti-hillary and so there's a lot of left that hate him but then there's right that hate him because he wasn't a trump supporter so um but the thing is he's human and and you know, he had a lot of good things to, you know, one thing I did, I had no idea. First thing he thought was, you know, he took, he analyzed the FBI and realized that like, you know, 86% were white male. And he wanted to change that, which was like something that left people had no idea about. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, yeah. Wait, really? Why? He's got a daughter that happens to be a lesbian. Oh, what? What? <laughs> what? You know, but that's not going to be, it's all about, everything is about Trump or Clinton. And I'm tired of that pearl, pearl clutching thing of either side kind of, do you hear what she said? Do you hear what he yeah. said? And it's like, drop your purse, buddy. I mean, it's just relax. <laughs> this is just fodder. This is just their stuff that they sling at each other. And it really doesn't matter. But what, a, what, a, what's really about who they really are and that's just sort of more my so i just wanted to know more about comey and and who he was as a person and when they talk about their family you find out more about who they are i think than if they talk about trump or clinton you know yep so yeah because they're just stuck in between two political demagogues and and their their armies their respective armies will never you know discuss you're never gonna win yeah, no, you're never, never going to win that. And and what's the point of me sitting there talking for an hour about, yeah, Clinton, she's a hag, you know, or Trump, he's a loser. Like, why, what would be the point? Because like I said, you can go to your respective networks and they're going to do it much better. So I think for me, it's like, well, who are you, you know? And, and I yep. throw jokes at like him, like, you know, there's something we haven't talked about. And right away, he's like all nervous thinking, oh, no, I'm going to get into yeah, Trump. And I go, and then I go, aliens, Area 51. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, he's like, what? Like, where where did that come from? And he's kind of starts to laugh out of, you know, kind of because he's nervous. But then it, it just throws things at him that he doesn't, because I don't want that polished, rehearsed speech. Yeah, no, no, throw them off their, their, their talking points. And I had, I had somebody on the other day and I didn't mean to do it, but um, I asked a question and it probably wasn't a great question, but it, uh, it knocked her off her talking points and it, it just kind of just had, had to do kind of a reset. And it was, I mean, it was a great conversation. I, I loved, uh, loved having her on, but it was, it was just one of those things, you know, they do so many interviews based on something and, and, you know, it's, it's, when you go off the canned line of questioning, it, it can kind of throw people off sometimes. And it's, it's, but it's also nice because then you, you start digging a little deeper and really get to see, you know, the passion that people had bringing into these projects and some of the little behind the scenes things you didn't get 
from the, you know, just asking the overarching, you know, questions that everybody asks, you know? Yeah. And it might be corny, but I'm hoping that when I interview someone and however different they are from me, I'm hoping to find out what makes them tick and why they are who they are, because then I'd rather get to know the person and actually leave as a friend or at least an acquaintance that we understand each other than just to attack and be an enemy, you know, and I really yeah. got that, you know, with Comey and I got that actually with um, the making a murderer, that whole thing from Netflix. And when I had, um, I had a lot of the people on there, like, you know, the prosecutor, uh, Ken Kratz, who everybody hated and just having him on the show um, twice um, was a relief in the sense that, you know, I was able to talk to him about the bad things, <laughs> but also who he was as a person, you know, and yeah, the, I, that's probably one of my first largest hate mail <laughs> campaigns <laughs> I had um, against me, which is kind of, you know, a learning lesson too, right? Because you gave the guy the opportunity to speak when he was already condemned in the public square. Yeah, and only that, because it's not like, you know, I even said to him, you know, it's funny because he chose me too. He let me be his interviewer. And at the same time, it was kind of like, why? And because I think I had a different angle and I wasn't just going to call him a name, but I still was going to ask him about things. And I think that, so that was good. It made me feel better about myself. And of course, a lot of people were like, you weren't tough enough on him. You didn't, what, I didn't call him enough names. Well, geez, yeah. you know how do i you know what if he was uh, what if he was your brother what if he was your neighbor what if he was someone you grew up with there's people that are going to love this guy because he's mm -hmm. their family so let's find out why let's find out why i don't i don't necessarily want to end up leaving and being his buddy but you know at least give him the opportunity um as a human being to kind of go, well, what, what was going on with you that you were doing these things that, you know, like he was doing things to, to girls that had been arrested and yeah. asking them to do things. And yeah. So listen, you know, and I said that to him, I said, a lot of people don't like you yeah. <laughs> and, you know, maybe there's good reason, but what's going on with you? Like, why are you who you are? And let's get into it. And I think that's, isn't that more, compassion and more of a human than just being like what's the point of me coming on so oh you're an ass and you're this and that and it's just kind of slamming you it's like well listen everybody has their their good days and bad days and i really i want to be fair you know and that's yeah kind and of, you know yeah and um and i mean the, whenever those documentaries are made there's the writings agreed upon and no matter how deep that interview goes it's not going to make it to the final product so whatever the variables or the facts and circumstances you know i'm not saying you could you know justify some of that behavior but you know they you won't get the overall you know the overarching you know whole story of what made that person that person you know but it, it, and and yeah. and so they get they get crucified and actually uh i, I didn't i don't want to jump off um, talking about the the show and, and guests too much because you've had a bunch of guests that I would love to ask questions about, but it um it just immediately reminded me of uh your book, The Innocent Man, or no, sorry, Last Man Standing, the McCullough oh, story, which right. I I found fascinating. Um, 
it goes into a bigger question as to how you choose the stories you want to tell. But I feel like we've we've hit on that. But in the um, the last man standing, this guy uh, falsely convicted of a of a child murder and then exonerated after horrible prison experience. Um, it, it's what what was it that that led you to to pick one pick that story to tell? Well, you know, it's access is one thing, you know, because I was doing a show in in Seattle at that time, and his um, stepson had heard and listened to the show and contacted me, which, wow, that made me feel good about myself. Um, but um, I think that's that. So I had access to him. And because I don't want to do I don't want to do a book on someone that I if I can't have access to him and if they're not into it, you know, like every every one of these modern day crimes, I have to be able to to deal with the family, the the killers or the accused and the survivors. I want to I want people to be involved in it because it's their story, not mine. Mm-hmm. And and I want to understand it. So if if people are into it, then and he approached and said, you know, we've just had really bad hack writers write about him. And I'd want I want someone that will take on the story that will tell the truth. And so at the same time, I said, well, then he has to tell the truth. I'm not going to lie, yeah. you know, I'm going to go through. And so, you know, and then I got to meet him and that was uh, an experience in itself. And it's, it's, so that's kind of how I took it. And the book is kind of about that meeting someone that first thing he says to me is my son thinks I'm a racist and America went to hell the moment they let a woman go to work. Oh, <laughs> <So>, wow. <laughs> this is a guy that, everyone's going to hate and and wow. actually and when you meet him and talk to him you see and that's the, the, the back to what we're saying you know you meet someone that's completely opposite but you can you can talk to them and realize understand them and i did you know and, and he had a, he had some really wacko ideas <laughs> you know <laughs> but believe me and and he's not necessarily a guy you want over at christmas and you don't want him hanging out but at yeah. the same time we can't just put them away because we don't like them, you know? Yeah. That's kind of, I think, where I took the point of the book. Look, you know, this is a guy that you probably won't like. You probably wouldn't get along with for a lot of reasons. You know, what's the first thing he says to the judge when he's convicted? Just don't put me in a cell with a black, a Jew, or a Democrat. Oh, wow, okay. He just got everybody. He just went after you know, everybody. It's like holy cow. So yeah, there's he's not necessarily going to be your favorite guy. Wow. But do we want to live in a place that we just put him away because he isn't our favorite guy? You know, mm-hmm. he's the handy guy to hate. So yeah, he did it, and he didn't because you ruin the guy's life. You ruin a lot of his family's lives, and it's just because we don't like them. And that I think I'm totally against that because I've had that towards me just because they don't like me for who I am. And I think, well, this is crazy. This isn't, you know, I'm not asking you to be friends. We don't have to live together. We don't have to go hang out together. But we need to understand each other and kind of understand that, oh, listen, you know, we don't want to just be putting people away because we don't like them or they don't like us. You know, it's a free country. So you don't, you just, don't be a friend with them. That's all, you know? And so yeah, I think that was an important story. Know, yeah. I think so too. I yeah. wished I was a better writer when I wrote it. 
I wished I was today, I could write that story because I would do such a better job. Not that I'm <laughs> slamming it. It's got a pretty good yeah. rating, but it never, it, it, I think because I have that angle, not everyone loves it, you mm -hmm. know? Um, it yeah. did overall pretty good, but I think that I would write it better today. But uh, I'm not saying don't buy it, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, uh, so focusing on the the due process instead of being like, yeah, you're not gonna like this dude, but we should tell you what happened to him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. kind of one of those. It was definitely a good lesson for all of us because I found out things about him that he didn't want published. And I had the FBI files and it was like, he was like, well, I don't want this published. And it was about him having sex with his stepsister. Jeez. And, and okay. that was a harsh thing. And uh, I had to take a while and kind of go, well, you know what? It's, it's, it's important to the story, but I'm not going to go into detail, but it, it's part of something that people need to read. So I was kind of one of those hitting things that kind of, um, I had to deal with, but, you know, again, you have to tell the truth or you can't write the book, you know? Right. And, and, and all the, uh, the books that you've, the 30 books that you've written, um, and especially some of the people you've dealt with, like I'm, I'm Mr. McCullough doesn't sound like the easiest guy to deal with, but <laughs> how, when it, when those issues come up, like whether it's the family or whether it's, um, whether it's the, uh, uh freaking serial, serial killer, how how do you broach that topic when they say I, I don't want that in there and you're like sitting there staring down uh, a really bad people being like well it's going in there what are you going to do <laughs> right well I uh, think I, well no at the beginning you see that's why his was that's why I wished if I could write it now it would be slightly different because I'd ha have more more um, more balls <laughs> than I did then because I was I was more nervous but. I always go into it kind of going and talking to people, listen, it's got to be all or nothing. You know, I can, I can understand certain things being kind of left out because it doesn't, it's just salacious. It's just stuff people are, ooh, you know, they want, I'm not going to get into that. So that's easy. But um, at the beginning, you got to be straightforward with them. They are, and with, with the killer like that murder time six is probably the one that, I did that the best with because uh, I talked to everybody. We've got the killer in prison, his new wife. <laughs> um, okay. I've got also um, all the victims. They all were involved. The cop that arrested them. Um, I just got everybody involved and I made sure they all read the book before the publisher put it out. So uh, in a way, um, I did that the best that I think I had the, the the system down by the time I did murder time six. So that's kind of the best true crime book I think I've ever written um, because of that. <laughs> but yeah. um, they have to know that. And when you walk in, they just have to know, listen, I'm not, I'm not out to get you. I'm I, you know, I, I just, I just want the story and I'm going to give the best I can to all of you. And so, you know, when you write about the victims in that story that were the little girls that were he had raped and killed, it was like, how much of the story do I need to tell? And the yeah. family, it, they're very much important to kind of, because I don't want to just write a book that's gore and, you know, the blood is dripping and you could smell this and that, you know, you know that's yeah. there. And there's people that do that really well. But I, I think that... um 
I think it's more about the subject than that. So, and, and that was um, a mass murder in West Park. That was West the West Park Six. Is that what that is? He would know. Remember he was, correctly. No, that it's the Wells Gray Park. Wells Gray Park. He That's he it. he spotted the two girls playing on his way home from work at the park. And then he watched the family for three, four days, and then he killed the family, the parents and the grandparents, so that he could have, have sex with these two little girls, uh, nine and eleven, I think it was at the time. And um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't need to get into what he did to them. He did tell me. We went through all the details, but half the family was, well, we already know this, and we don't care, and the other half were like really sensitive to it. So. I think, you know, I think all I needed, and when I talked to him, all I needed to do was put in what he said to me about it. And and when he talked about the nine-year-old, here's a guy, there's a reason it's important is the guy was up for parole, okay? And he's going to get out. He's married to a new woman who met him online. And he, and this new wife has two girls the same age of the ones that he raped. Oh, and yeah. killed and, and yeah i know you know so that in itself is the story it doesn't need to be about the details of what he did to him even yeah, though no. but when when he said to me one thing was really stuck out to me because when he said to me that i no longer fantasize about little girls anymore since i've been married to an adult female okay this is what you mm-hmm. say you know and he's found the lord okay mm-hmm. So, you know, they kind of go, okay, that's your credit. But then he later, he's telling me about the details of what he did to the nine-year-old. And without getting into it, what he said to me, he goes, well, you know, I tried with her for almost 24 hours, and she didn't understand anything. Even though I tried to show her how to do things, she still didn't get it. So I shot her in the fucking head, is what he said to me. So I'm thinking... All I need to do is write that, and it says yeah. it all. I don't need to get into what he did to her. I just yeah. need to tell you, this is who he is. And the question is, do you really want him out living in the free and being your neighbor? Even if well, you don't have girls, you know? Yeah. Do do they deserve to? I mean, is there, you know, regardless of, of sentencing guidelines, like there's just some people that shouldn't be around, you know. Personally, yeah, I think I yeah. see personally, I think they should have just put him down. I have this awful opinion that causes controversy because even though I have a strong left side in the political ring, I still think, listen, this guy, we, we know for a fact what he did to these people. He kills he killed seven people in all before he was 23. Yeah. And did terrible things to these two little girls. No, if if we're in a country that's decided we're not going to kill them, okay, fine. That's what the country's decided. It's a free country. That's what they want. No death penalty. Okay. Fair mm-hmm. enough. And but, this is in Canada. Yeah. But you yeah. know, even in most of the states. But yeah. even though that may be the case, fair enough. Then that's how it is. But that person should never be out. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's, uh, and you mentioned the, the patrol aspect, uh, pat- patrol, parole aspect. I mean, you mentioned uh, when you're writing the manuscript, you know, the family has to know that there's going to be uncomfortable things in here um, and that everybody has to be in and that story takes precedent. It might be uncomfortable, but, but this needs to be in here to tell the, your story and your family's story. 
Um, but when you talk about him, the question of should he go to parole, every time he goes up to parole, whatever surviving family members have to rip off the Band-Aid and suffer through living that experience over. Right. I mean, in this case, right. the survivors might be, you know, nobody survived him, but, you know, there's the family members who have to, you know, wake up thinking about their their the people they lost in the horrible way that they were lost. And every time that guy gets to weaponize the justice system, every time he he gets to stamp for parole and right. just victimizes everyone all over again. Yeah. And it's every year and a half. And I do focus on that. And, and in the first edition, I have one of the uh, letters. It's funny. It's not funny, but it's it, it was strange. One of the one of the cousins, the girls, right, that's about the same age. So she grows up with this. And every time her kids go to go camping or go do th something, she's terrified for the whole yep. time, the whole weekend. And that was the essence of her letter that she wrote. And so the parole board sends it back saying, no, it's a little too hard. <laughs> and I thought, that's... this is ridiculous, but that's all right. This is the system. We we yeah. won't get better at it unless we really see it and understand it. So to me, it's like, I have to put this in there and go, this is too harsh? Really? Right. Okay. You know, come on. Look at what the guy did. I mean, yeah. you know, and so I think that's it. You know, and the, actually the police did give me a little grief in that. They give it a four out of five stars they took the one star away was because i was kind of down being a little down on parole and stuff and it's like no i'm I'm not down on parole the truth is i think everyone has that right that's fair but yeah. what happens to these survivors when they have to relive this every year and a half and and the one even had she even talked about how she gets letters every month you know, the killers, you know, he's gone to see a doctor, he had a tooth pulled, he has liver problems. They they get details every month or two. And the first time I met some of the survivors, you're sitting in a house with them. One of the girls, who was probably about 45, cried from the minute I got there to the minute I left because it's still fresh because of yeah. things like this. You know, and they it can't, never goes away. Yeah. And they can't just kind of move on. It's too hard. And uh, you know, go see him every year and a half in a in a in a parole hearing, and sit there for three days and listen to him, how he's found yeah. God and how he's changed. It's like it's got to be difficult, right? Yeah, and I, and I mean, over time, um, you know, victims' rights laws have come a long way, but that that some point, and the more you know, you write things like this, or somebody puts out something that with a, a focus on the victims and shows the way the system abuses these people that that i don't know if we'll ever get to the point of having that conversation of balancing the criminals rights versus the victims rights i think that conversation is there a little bit but the overall like at what point do you make a call that this person does not need to be part of society anymore they're let their mm -hmm. actions speak for them being excised from the community you know it's yeah. Yeah. um because, because there's no way to fix it that there's, i mean there's, most there's people no suffer way. There's no way. And the thing is, people like like that guy in 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 particular, and there's he's one of many, never has to get counseled. You know what I mean? They don't have to mm -hmm. see psychiatrists. We can't force that on them. So so do they really ever get better? You know, and and how do we how do we really how do you justify that to people? You know, there's people scared of him still that moved and are scared scared totally that he'll get out 
you know, you you've it's affected a lot of people. You know, the cameras go away and it gets all it's off the topic of TV and crime shows for a while. But the, the the rest of the people still go on living, and it's it's. I think that was see. So for me, that's the focus of the book. So the the family and the survivors have to kind of approve what I write before it gets published. That's my goal. Not everybody sees it that way, and that's that's what freedom is. Go for it. You want to write that gory haha story? Go for it. Some of them yeah. do it really well, and they publish, and they some of them sell a ton of books, and that's great. That's that's what it is, but um, not really what I do. And that and that uh, you know talking about the the McCullough and talking about the the um, the Murder Time Six cases. How is it? I mean, thirty bucks. Uh, how is it you choose the stories? Do the, sometimes they come to you, like uh, the guy's son reaching out to you, or do you find that thread of you know Mr. McCullough? He was denied due process you know, tortured in jail and then released or, you know, the, the victim is re-victimization of the survivors. Every time this, this uh, killer wants to try and stand, stand parole. Uh, how what, what's your, uh, I guess, triaging method of how you select what you're going to write about? Well, they all come to me. I never go up looking, you yeah. know, and, and it's a bad way to say it, but I always say America's the drive through of killing. And, and, and it's, and it's cruel. I, it's, but it's just my, you know, you have to know that when you're in it and I've been around so many cops and so many people in the, in the biz, so to speak, that you have kind of this callous, this attitude, this dark humor, because that's a way of dealing with it. You know, it's hard to deal with. So that's why I say things like that. So no, no offense. It's just sort of. I've a, never heard it put that way. That's that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. It's the drive-through yeah. murder. Yeah. There's, well, there's I mean, so yeah, much. we're a we're a violent bunch. There's no way around it. Yeah. No, no, and yeah. it, fair enough. It is what it is. I I don't hold it against anybody. I'm I'm like I said, I'm a Canuck stuck in it, and I just sort of I observe a lot. I just see a lot of people that are, you know, I I love my cop friends. I love everybody I've met in that business, and they're totally that way and i think that's sort of what makes them special but that also what is what they need to deal with what they do and the people they deal with so i'm all for it so so they come to me and i hear about it and i just i put a post-it it's all over one of my computers and and i look for it and you know a lot of them come to me from a hairdresser or from a person or from a whoever and i kind of look at it and if it's not a case that's um, um if it's a case that people I, I approach people if the story sounds interesting and i can get into the storyline itself or something about it then i approach people and if they're all in on it then i start following and start putting in requests to meet and go to a prison or do things and if it comes together it does if it doesn't it doesn't that's why i've always got geez i got like five crime cases going right now because wow. you wait wait for details to come back and wait to see if you can get into that prison if that person will see you or if this cop is interested or if this victim is interested they've got to be involved and if i get a lot of no's it stays on the computer and i keep working on other cases and they just sort of come together you know and yeah. when i get all the evidence and get everything i can together then I fly to a city 
<laughs> this is a, I fly to a city I've never been to before, book in a hotel, and stay there the whole time and write the book. Oh, no kidding. You just yeah. you just plant right down and just go, huh? Yeah, when I have it all together and I fly somewhere, because what it does is there's never there's not a feeling like being in in a city of a couple of million people that are all strangers. Yeah. Yeah. That creates a fascinating. Yeah. And it it puts you in a situation of survival. And I just I just love that um, being a stranger, being lonely in a crowded room. It's it's amazing. And then that's where you get some of your best writing that way. And then I can put the story together. So that's that's a cool bit of stress that you had to yourself. That's um, will it be will it be the city in which this particular case has taken place, or will it be random dark? It's got to be a place. Yeah, it's got to be somewhere I've never been to before, because I got to be alone, and I got to feel alone in amongst a a million people. Mm -hmm. I just you know, there's that. uh, There there was a a, a Madonna wrote a song a hundred years ago like that, and about. not a hit it was just a song and there's something in it about being so lonely in such a crowded room and i thought this is that's the true true feeling of of inspiring yourself to write and that's kind of one of the most exciting parts of it now i find that i can do research wherever i have to do it but Mm -hmm. when you actually do the the writing part and you want to get into the story you got to be you got to stress yourself into that situation for me anyway that's how i do it that's that's i would love to try that it <laughs> that works sounds, it works really awesome. well but yeah. yeah and it's a and i remember back in my traveling days it'd be you know traveling from you know through countries or in transit to places it was there's something that's a, a very freeing about being in a place where you know you don't know anybody you don't even speak the language you've never seen this you know before and just walking amongst the crowd and everybody knows what's going on in the place, but, but you, you know, yeah, just being, totally. there's a lot of freedom to that being lost, but there's also that exactly. heightened level. Right. Yeah, right. And so, yeah. You know, and I have that suspicious thing, you know, but that spy thing, you know, so I, you know, I'm always looking in the mirrors, checking on people and looking around me. I'm so, so observant. It's so I'm, I'm on edge. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, what? I can see that. I can see that, that inspiring some writing time. I, I could totally, that, that little bit of stress, that little bit of heightened. Uh, uh, and it creates emotions that you don't get when you're in a safe space, when you're at home. Yep. Right. Wow. So that's... I think, I think it just makes the um, story better. Um, so for me, it works anyway. It has so far. I mean, who knows, you know, like yeah. I said, you know, where's it all going? I don't know, but it works for me. That's kind of how I do it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's worked 30 times. So it's, yeah. It's, and most of them have done really well. There's a few dogs, <laughs> <laughs> but you can't hit it out of the park every time. I guess well, save some for the, everybody else. Right. It's strange. I did that one book about the, uh, oh, and I just hated it. You know, I liked the story, but the publisher, you know, that, that what do they call it? deadly betrayal you know about the, some yep. daughter and they call it daughter from hell and i was like oh yeah. you gotta be kidding right that's they changed the title on me and they made the cover and it was just all this shock the story was okay but i was just like so turned off by that and um i went with it because i was a new guy and um but years later all of a sudden um these department store chains and these bookstores all of a sudden i was getting these 
like through Ingram telling me that, you know, 1,200 books, 1,400 books, all these books were being sold to these stores. So for some reason, it just catches on 10 years later and you're like, oh, you know, it's wow. why? There's no reason. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's so, there's no there's no talent. Marketing's a mystery to me. But yeah. uh, it did make me wonder, um, looking at the business side, when you're um, working through a manuscript and you've got all these people involved from the subject to the investigator, to the victims, to the family, um, when they get the, of their take, have you ever had the publisher come back and be like, now nah, it doesn't matter what they're saying. This is what we want this to look like. No, not, yeah. not to never that, had that kind of pushback. No, I, the only, only time I've ever had pushback is on sometimes on expressions like the Leopold and Loeb story. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, one of the best things and it's also been one of the hardest things i had to go through because you know publishers come back and say well um you know you use some of their language you know one one killer saying to the other you know i remember the one saying was he absolutely couldn't wouldn't burn any place or hurt anybody in the portuguese ghetto uh you know back in the 20s in chicago and and the publisher said well you can't say that it's like, well, I'm not saying it. That's what one guy said to the other killer as they're talking, because there's a reason. And then it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, ghetto is a derogatory term and people think black neighborhood and they sing. So you can, can you change it to working class neighborhood? It's like, well, no, no, because <laughs> yeah. you know, listen, I could on a on a um, it just expression, like if I was just describing the, the neighborhood, sure. But this is like one guy is this dialogue. One person's talking to the other, and this is what they're saying. One guy doesn't go, "Oh, stay away from the Portuguese working class neighborhood." That's, that's right. not that's maybe in a Disney what, movie. <laughs> yeah, that's just not what we say. This is we're talking right. killers, and people are bad people, so it doesn't work. So I I remember things like that, and I don't I don't like doing i don't like changing that so that ended up going to a different publisher because we couldn't settle on things wow because that's some people have that you know and that's again it's freedom i just think yep. well okay fine fair enough there, there's somebody else that'll do it yeah and someone else did yeah. but the first book caused me so much grief i still get backlash from this and from people that um are angry at me over this and it's been kind of one of the and you know, strange thing is, then Discovery approaches me, and they want to do that whole series as a series, as a killer series on Discovery crime, internet, or whatever. I was like, oh, okay. Well, and it's uh, it's interesting. The um, that's your your Killer Queen series, yeah. And it uh, it follows the way I uh, it follows. I mean, starting with Leopold and Loeb in in 1927 Chicago, up through um. The uh, guy in Toronto who was burying his victims in flower beds—I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah, um, it's, Bruce MacArthur. Yeah. MacArthur. Um, but yeah, as you and I—I I haven't been able to get through all your books. But um, as you go through from Leopold to to MacArthur, um, you know, focusing on 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 uh, homosexual related um, crimes and murder, the the change over time of you know. I mean, from at one point in time, I mean, to to um, a homosexual relationship would be considered a felony, and then it changes right. to uh, non-criminal activity, and then it, it as it changes over time, what's what trends have you seen in that in that uh, 
overwriting that book over that almost a hundred year span, you know? Well, it, it caught me because originally Leopold and Loeb were in the twenties in uh, Chicago mm -hmm. and they were from a wealthy family and, and they were, you know, gay together at times. And, but at the same time, um, <laughs> Leopold and, and Loeb, they were really big time Hitler supporters and he was totally uh one of the one was so upset when hitler got put in jail originally when he got arrested put in jail for five years and yet they were and and the one was jewish and i thought well this is just so weird right you know they're you know what's going on so i wanted to get into them but at the same time um fritz Harman was murdering people in germany in hanover mm -hmm. And he was a police informant, but yet he was gay. But I, I, I saw how the two cities and the two countries treated their homosexual community. And that's what intrigued me because they, because of the way they felt about gay people in that time in each city, they treated the crimes differently. Yep. That was, that was the angle for me. It was that, that was what was catching me on that story. It wasn't so much the details of the murder again it got it got to be more about how each community treated their citizens that were gay because of how they felt about it and in hanover it was festive it was party it was okay um you know they had police permits to walk around so transsexuals could walk around and not be arrested in hanover and in berlin wow. it was it became a festive cabaret style thing it was huge and mm -hmm. so they treated gay killers different than they did in Germany or in uh, Chicago. That's what led me down that road. And so I started going through the years and putting it together and, you know, right up into San Francisco and, and Canada. And it just sort of, it, it's, it's strange how each book, how you can kind of go through a country and see how they were dealing with it and the police raiding uh, gay places and stuff and how they mm -hmm. and, and it's funny you know the one in chicago the captain of the police in toronto was or in, in canada i'm sorry is how he was saying saying that uh we could never hire a homosexual because they're criminals <laughs> like and i just i just love the quotes of how so and that so therefore when you have that of course when a gay person commits a crime then he's really bad you know what i mean right yeah. So, but now, now, now in modern days, it's pretty good in most countries. Um, comparatively, it's been a huge change. But you know, look at uh, you know, I bring up things like Alan Turing, right? The guy that, you know, he was the big savior, code coded breaker in the World War II, and because he had gay sex with a man, they castrated him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. I just, I just. It was just bringing out the variables and stuff. I I was just fa fascinated with that more than anything, more than the crime. And it was part of a plea deal, which is the craziest part. Just uh, yeah. just really <laughs> just destroying the man's body for a plea deal. You know, yeah, because he was dirty. Yet he was he was a really um, important figure in the war. Like he was. It's just it's just amazing how people get things in their minds. That's all. All I just sort of wanted to to follow that and it's, it's a, caused a lot of problems doing this that series i will tell you really because I, I i um what fascinated me about it is, is exactly i love it when you can see uh, a society's reflection 
in in a story. And I think with each one of these, you see uh, society's reflection. It's you you make society look in the mirror in the way that these things are addressed in these different periods of time. And I I love it when you show it makes people uncomfortable, right? Because you're not. Yeah. You're not pointing yeah. at a judge. You're not pointing at a prosecutor. You're not pointing at a detective. You're pointing at the people. You're pointing back at the people reading it at the time, saying, "This is this is everybody." You know, yeah. everybody's thoughts were what pr- contributed yeah. to it's the way history. these people are treated. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just history. I love it. I love it when you can put that mirror up to people. Yeah, and I think that's all it is. And I think yeah, people are uncomfortable, and so I get a lot of really. A really great feedback and a lot of really hateful feedback. Huh. But then you see, I was doing it. I was, I think, in the fourth book, and this was two two years ago, April, and uh, and uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox came after me, and that started an avalanche because he had such a big profile at the time because he was on Fox, and yeah. uh, he said some really bad things about me and about the show. <laughs> huh. And NBC came back at me and said, you say absolutely nothing. You, I want, we want no, we don't want this to grow. And, and it was just because I did a soundbite. And, uh, and, and so then, and all it was, was it was just something, this is sort of what social media and all it was, was NBC in LA asked me about in Canada, because Tucker Carlson, they showed me a clip on Fox and he said that, in Canada, you know, the Trudeau was arresting the citizens for and putting them in internment camps if they didn't do get the vaccine. And how far before, how long before Joe Biden does this? And it was like, so they asked me, and I said, "Well, I, I don't know what he's talking about because there's no internment camps in Canada, first of all, and they're not arresting people for not getting the vaccine. There's companies and health places, there's places firing people if they don't get it." But there's no internment caps and no one's being arrested. But I said, and then I made a comment, well, it's just typical Tucker, right? He's just making up stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so he didn't like that and his people didn't like it. So he said that he wouldn't listen to my show unless he wanted to learn how to be gay. Wow. That's taking a high road. And, and, And so then all of a sudden I get in, I started getting 200 people a day following me like on Facebook and stuff. And then they were sending me dirty pictures of men doing bad things with animals. Wow. And that's Tucker's people, Tucker's fans. And they had to take over my um, social media for almost three months and run it because it was just, it was gone. It went crazy. And um, I didn't know how to deal with it, be honest. And actually it freaked me out because there's a national news figure yeah. saying something about me like that's that was like bizarre you know what i mean yeah <laughs> well, i'm just a canuck it. don't don't i'm from kanakistan don't bother me <laughs> kanakistan <laughs> yeah. yeah well because yeah. it's just a, it's, it's just really it's silly when you think about it because i wasn't taking a political point of view i was just answering a question and i didn't expect that and of course then i'm doing these these killer queen books and oh my god and that that's it, worth taking a shot at you for oh just, my god so they just they just and and it just everyone attacked me and i just didn't want anything to do with it shut me down in that sense i want nothing to do with this 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 whole yeah. gay scenario and books and stuff and it and it took a while to get out of that um again i wished i was now and this happened cuz i can handle it better now cuz yeah. i've been through it i'm in a different side now i'm a lot stronger i guess than i was um 
but yeah, so that was so they have bad memories for me though that series of books, which is really too bad um, because I think they I did some really good work there, but um, that's what yeah, that's and, kind of the world. And that, yeah, and that's um, I mean, that's just like looking through, you know, as I was looking this, the stories you choose to tell are. Uh, they're not comfortable i mean it's like i mean you just said this is what we are you know this is what we are and this is how we've treated people over time and this is yeah and i don't know, want just... to be judgmental i don't want to be judgmental because no. i'm not i'm not doing it to say oh look look at you um because yeah. i'm looking at it as in look you know we're we're just that's why i mean you know about the whole my opinion on politics how about this, just people need to start speaking to each other and meeting each other and really getting into it's you know it's not us them and all this and that's the same with these books i'm not i'm just writing history and crime and this is what happened this is how it happened and i don't want to make a statement and i'm not i don't want to you know it's like the old canceling you know let's start you know canceling people from the past it's who they were you know and this yeah. is society let's let's try and talk about it and learn it makes me uncomfortable too right it's just yeah look back and learn yeah yeah i mean because yeah. I, I i want it better for the kids not worse yep. you know you and want each just, generation uh, and, uh, and and trying to get people to be self-reflective is not a comfortable thing yeah <laughs> it's, it's hard it's just not <laughs> yeah. it's hard it's yep. hard and and that's kind of you know and politically that's sort of the negativity now and it, it's just it's really sad because it's kind of it's the trump method in a way of everyone just slams everyone and it's okay just call everyone names and throw in it's like no it's not okay it's um you know it's, it's it, you know we don't have to like everyone but come on you know it's yeah. not it's not be that is, way it know? is definitely when, a de-evolution of society to the well, point I, where I, you can't I, even I, talk I, to somebody you disagree with yeah because yeah, i don't know you know it used to be you could and yep. it used to be i you know i used to make fun of presidents and people before you know clinton in the blue dress look at all that and and now you can't you can, it's just it's really crazy now and everyone's so serious and so mean and yeah. and god i i i don't understand that i really don't you know but yeah that's what we're stuck with now you know so yeah and i mean until uh until we can get back to appreciate intelligent discourse uh, i guess I, I don't know when that happens but it's yeah, and so. when's it when's it when's it going to end? Because um, you know it's funny when I talk to uh, Peter Vronsky, the doctor. He's history professor too, and he's written some good books. And he um, talked about that about the serial killers in the seventies and about how our, you know, the the baby boomers and how their their kids grow up and you know the parents come back from the war and they would, the men wouldn't touch the boys and it was all this stuff. And I think. And he was talking about, well, what do you think is going to happen from the kids now? A lot of the kids born into all this discourse that we're going through, how are they going to grow up? Um, that's the thing I think that we're missing. We don't realize the effect our behavior has on the young generation. Yep. They don't know uh, anything know. but, uh, but you know, falsified strife and flag waving, yeah. you know, reg yeah. regardless of whatever tribe, everybody's got to have a tribe. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I couldn't join a political party, and I couldn't, I don't understand it. I just see it as, you know, someone runs. What do they say? How about how about politics? How about politicians talking about schools, education, um, and 
and serious stuff, you know, they can't even make our roads smooth, you know, <laughs> right? They can't right? fix our roads. How yeah. are they going to do? You know, I just, I just want to <laughs> see some real stuff, medicine and medical and start talking about things that affect our life. Not, yeah. I don't care about most of the stuff they talk about. So I don't even turn on the news now. Yeah, I can't uh, I can't stomach it most of the time anymore. It's just yeah. the, because there's zero substance. They're just taking shots at each other. But uh, yeah. Oh, I love I, it yeah. when they, they talk about something and then they say a, something that happened and then they bring on people and they all talk about it for a half hour. Yeah. And, it's and, like, they, and oh. they just talk over each other. Like yeah. they just bounce in sunlight. So, so I'm stuck. I'm writing all this stuff in the 60s and the and the 80s now. It's what I've been focusing on now. So what I do, this is the really cool thing, I think. <laughs> is all I watch is shows from the 60s. Well, that'd be fun. I could see that well, being fun. Yeah. Right now, all I'm doing is, you know, Perry Mason and What's My Line, and and I'm doing all this 60, because you pick up so much dialogue from people and what they thought was funny and what they didn't, how they dressed, how they talked. You learn so many interactions that when you're, so when you're writing a book in that time, you can put that into it. You know, and expressions. I I love doing this. So so it's been good for me not watching modern day stuff. <laughs> right. Well, and also it it uh, you know it'd be great for the the current generation to just sit back and watch the context with which all these triggering conversations are now. You know, like you can yeah. you know you put on. Uh, I would love to sit like an eighteen year old. Uh, down and have them watch, you know, every Mel Brooks movie from beginning to end. And That's just, right. And just That's watch right. how, how watch them need to be medicated. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, well, the thing is, because it's just you start to realize that you know we lived in a time, and this is how it was. And I, yeah, it's just I don't know. Um, I but that's I'm sort of stuck in that right now. I'm really big in the '60s, um, but it really helps my writing. I think in that, and really in capturing who the people were and the characters much better than uh, trying to do it from a 2023 point of view, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, you don't understand the character if you don't put what was around them and how they were feeling. Yeah. You know, but I think that's sort of, you know, history is important. Yeah. History is important. And all that context is, is lost unless you try to immerse yourself in it, you know, but um I, uh, I, we've been going about an hour and I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but, uh, I, um, I did have one more question with, yeah. with all the, with all the, the spectrum that you've studied as far as all these different cases, all these different subjects over time. Um, cause it, it's more than most, um, as in all this research, I don't know how, you know, over the 30 books, has there ever been a time that, you know, you're researching a certain guy or maybe talking to a, a certain uh, subject or a killer and you just, and some of these people, this class of serial killer just start to make sense to you or these, you know, these, these people who are convicted of these, you know, awful things They there's a, they, they somehow you're like, okay, I understand what's wrong with this person. Like is, have you ever kind of thought, okay, this is a class of people you can diagnose as psychotics and put them in this little box or, or over time, have you just been like, I don't get what sets these people off, you know, no. have you ever seen a trend? 
no, I'm not qualified. <laughs> I'm not qualified. I really, I'm really not. And and the people that most of the time too, when you see shows and you see all these, they bring in people and they t- start telling you what's wrong and why they do things. Most of that is just know. it's BS. BS is just throwing stuff at the wall. I think yep. that um, I think it's fine, but it's not. It's not concrete. And and I don't know. You know, I wished I knew, but we don't. You know, yeah. I, I I hate it when they come on and they say, "Oh, his father was an alcoholic and beat him every day, and his mother was out smoking and a tramp or whatever." And I think that's what my dad was, you know. Right. And, and I grew up with worse than half these people, and I'm not interested in hurting anybody. I've never even had the the desire. There's something else physically wrong, mentally. You know, there's something that. It's not just there's I don't know, like I said, I'm not qualified, but there's more to it than that surface stuff you hear on most of the shows. And that's one thing I've learned is I can't I couldn't give you an answer. There's just no there's I wish there was. I wished we could solve it and understand why people are this way. I, I don't know. Sorry to disappoint yeah, you. but Oh, that's all right. I, I, uh, I didn't know if you'd have an answer for that or not, but I just look at it all the work you've done and all the, all the people that you've talked to over time, I'd, 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 I've, I would have a hard time seeing that you could put this group of people in a box. I don't, I don't think that's possible. I think there's too many variables. Yeah. You can learn a lot of patterns and um, there's a lot of really qualified psychiatrists that could probably tell you, pick out things, but, um, and there is, but where it comes from, I, I yeah. think there's so much more to it than what what makes you know did why did Dahmer go nuts? Was it because his dad was the way he he treated him? Well, I don't know. Like I said, I've I've been through worse, and I've known people that have been through worse family lives, and they're not that way. So there's more to it than that. Yep. And yeah. and I wished I I knew. And the, and again, you know, it gets back to that. A lot of these people we don't really ever know. You know. Charles Manson, why was he the way he was? We can make a lot of guesses, but, um, you know, we never really got to study these people, No, nope. you know, nope. like and professionals, always, you know. Yeah, and, and you're only able to listen to what they say. You don't, you know, you're always got to filter through their whatever line they're, they want to spew, you know. Yeah, so. and they're all putting on a show. Everyone I've ever met, mm-hmm. and you go into a prison, it's a show. They are entertaining you. They're, 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 they do something for something. They want something. And um, you have to take it with a grain of salt. You have to step back and look at the big picture and go, there, there's a reason they're doing all of this. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a really weird business. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes, it's really is. weird. That's why well, I respect, that's why I respect cops and all the people that work in, you know, in, in medical and policing and, and, um, and all of that military, even even if I don't like them and they're completely opposite of me, I respect them because I, I understand that I need them in order for our society to to get through what it gets through. You know, so yeah, it takes takes all kinds to make a community. So oh, it does, it does. But, I, I I need that. You know, I yeah. need them, and, and you we need more have of that. that. <laughs> we need more of that kind of discussion. Well, yeah, because we got to understand, you know, you need that, the really tough redneck fireman that's up there fighting, fighting the fires. I may not like who they are, may not agree with them politically or 
you know what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. yeah. they're part of us. They are us. We are them. And, and we need that. And, yep. and I appreciate that. I appreciate the effort and the work and, the, and all of that stuff. You know, I love my reddest neck friends <laughs> because <laughs> right. I need them. I may not always <laughs> want to listen to them, but it's true. I mean, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And, and I appreciate oh, yeah. I appreciate the far rednecks that I have in my life that that like me and need me. And there's a reason. It's because we connect and we understand each other. And yep. you know, and and God, I mean, we need more of that, you know. But yeah, we definitely need more more discourse, more communication, that's for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, totally. Yeah. I'm I'm into it. That's that's actually the reason I write the books and the reason I do the shows. It's more the people I've met. It's networking. It's just it's, it's so much more to it than just the finished product. Just like the interviews, you know, when you get them published and put out there, there was so much more to it when I meet people and talk to them and and pick up things from them. That's so much better than than the than the finished product, you know. So yeah. You know, absolutely. That's, that's me. Yeah. Uh, I I appreciate you joining me tonight. This has been a great conversation. I I feel like we could have talked for hours, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> you I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, between the five different projects you got going on, <laughs> I can't take oh. up too much of your time. <laughs> no, and then I've got an old dog to take care of too, right? Because I got oh, three yeah. acres, and so I take on um the old dogs. I get them from the pound. So um I've been doing that twenty. 25 years and that's, so quite often so i've got a 19 year old jack russell this is probably just scratching the door <laughs> no actually he's no he's pretty calm he's pretty calm oh yeah they, so yeah. they relax at some point oh yeah like i've got a video of him i walked him in the snow just yesterday and uh no his girlfriend died so he's oh. he's depressed she was 20 wow and and she she passed in january so i'm out walking him and stuff like that he's pretty pepper for his age but uh no he's good he's pretty calm but he doesn't doesn't leave my side doesn't matter if i'm in the studio or if i'm at home or anywhere so so i've got that too on top of the projects that's (laughs) yes so well i um anytime you want to discuss more of your projects you let me know uh and we will we'll sit down and chat and um, but before I let you go, your website, alanrwarren.com for for your private website. And then you've got uh, Instagram is. Oh, yeah. I, you know, on the website, it's got all of them up there, but I'm, the on, I'm on all of it now. You know, I don't I blue sky um, Instagram, you know, Twitter X, you know, whatever that is, TikTok, uh, Facebook. I do it all. And uh, yeah. it's just all Eleanor Warren. Our radio cub is the the name, and it comes in underneath them. And the website has them all. I'm on I'm on at five six in the morning to do all the posts, and then I go on again at eight nine at night. That's it. I don't go on the rest of the time. So <laughs> yeah. it helps you stay out of the stay out of the arguments that way. <laughs> well, you, you know, a post and a run. Yeah. Sometimes I'll look at a few. I flick through and I try to support people. I see them if they post something, I'll share it and click it. But yeah, there's just there's a lot of stuff, and um, it's kind of getting out of hand too because I know Facebook. There's eighty five thousand followers I have now. I don't know where they came from. 
<laughs> I don't know what the show they came from the show and the books, but there's, but there's too many, and I don't yeah, mean that right. in a bad way. It's just that you get on, and it's just I don't see anything. I just see stuff, and then it's hard to keep up with people. People say, "Did you see I posted this?" And it's like, "No, nope. I I Not don't." It, yeah, there's just there's, there's almost too much now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how big stars do it. I don't know how they do it when they got millions of people. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah, that's. I don't have that problem. You tell me, you've <laughs> got a million. Yet, so. Don't you have a million yet? <laughs> I, I'm working on a million five. I'll start bragging when I get a million five. <laughs> no, they must hire people. You know, they yeah, must hire. Got to be right. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't it's do just it. Too much. That's way too yeah. many. You know. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but anyway, thank you for coming on tonight, and uh, and I look forward to uh, talking to you again. Yeah, take care of yourself. Stay All out, right. Stay away from bad things <laughs> <laughs> i'll try it doesn't always work but uh <laughs> all right good night everybody <laughs>